it's really important to look for those founders that kind of walk out of the long grass with a kind of a thousand yard step because they've been in the middle of some element of a niche where there is a large pain point, there's a real willingness and ability to pay, there, are, there is real pain, there is real dynamics that can underpin velocity and pricing and all the rest of it, but you would find it very, very hard to identify it from the outside. Welcome to Positive. Find us on Twitter at POSI, the number two IVE. This bi-weekly podcast is for active investors and founders just like you, focused on venture scale positive impacts. I'm your host, Zeka Len, an angel investor in the private capital markets here in sunny SoCal. Today's guest is Tom Ferguson, GP at Burn Island Ventures, headquartered in San Francisco. This episode will include three sections. First, the fundamental molecule. Next, complex markets. And last, fluid founders. Welcome to the show, Tom. Oh, that's very kind of you to have me, Zachar. I appreciate it. I'm really grateful you're, you're here today and you being one of like the foremost experts in what I think, venture capital and uh, water impact. I'm very excited. And also the introduction that uh, Ivy Nguyen with Point72 Ventures gave was remarkable. Yeah, no, Ivy's fantastic. She was actually responsible for me getting my uh, previous job at Imagine H2O. So for, on behalf of everyone at Imagine H2O, she has a lot to, to answer for. Um, but she, yeah, she's a, she's a wonderful human. Lovely. How, so how did you find your way into kind of the venture community first? And how did you discover your love for the water problem? Starting with the water side of things uh, first, um, I, you know, I, I have a relatively checkered career all the way through. Um, uh, I, I was introduced to water because I was the cheapest person at the building, uh, in the building with environmental resources management in London in 2010, when the Carbon Disclosure Project came to us and said that they wanted to do their first water disclosure report. Um, and uh, that involved basically taking on a whole bunch of data from 150 of the world's th largest 300 companies and basically crunching it and putting it into a nice looking report and then launching it at Bloomberg. But, you know, consultancies are consultancies. And when something's pro bono, it gets handed down to, um, you know, muggins over here. And so after that, I, I really kind of got to grips with what the largest companies in the world were doing with water. And so I started kind of sitting in on meetings with you know people who were really making decisions on behalf of large corporates around what they were doing around water sustainability. And anyway, so after kind of a time at business school and two early stage companies, I, I found myself at um, Imagine H2O, which is the kind of the, the largest and most prominent accelerator for early stage water companies uh, kind of in the sector. And that's what married up the kind of the exposure of the, the subject matter, so water to early stage companies and by extension, early stage companies, um, venture investment. So I really concentrated all of my time building the best possible program for uh, founders in the sector, very, very founder focused. Uh, but then really kind of very, very recently, I decided to make the jump from supporting them on a nonprofit basis. So really enabling the kind of the impact of their companies out there in the world to really putting checks behind that work identifying and then supporting the the best early stage founders uh really in the world um that can build sustainable solutions to, to water problems so that's what i'm i'm trying to achieve with burnt island ventures that's wonderful i'm curious i really like the name of of your firm burnt island ventures what was the inspiration for that uh, it's, yeah no it's good it's um it comes up it comes up a lot um i i i assure you it's not that the world's on fire or anything um <laughs> kind of you know, irritating like that. Um, uh, there are apparently a multiple burnt islands. There's uh, one off the coast of Maine, 
apparently. Uh, there's one north of Edinburgh where I went to university. Uh, but Burnt Island actually refers to um, my my family's from the west coast of Scotland, and and um, I, I spent a ton of time up there as a kid, kind of splashing around in water and kind of falling off rocks and stuff. And the Burnt Islands are a set of three islands that lie at the mouth of the East Kyle of the Kyles of Butte, which is an island on the island on the west coast of Scotland, and they kind of they sort of sit there in the tide as these immovable objects and have done for millennia. So there's a good, there's a good kind of metaphor there, I think, for the kind of organization that I want uh, Burnt Island Ventures to be. But basically, it just reminds me of home, you know. There's, a, there's kind of a, a highlight of sustainability to it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're they're not moving for anybody, and they've seen they've seen a lot of changes happening in the in the world, and they sit within a body of water. Um, yeah, and they're um, it's it's a stunningly beautiful place. If anybody finds themselves about two hours west of Glasgow, go have a look. They're great. Yeah, my my wife and I just recently, I think it was a year and a half ago, uh, went to Western uh, Scotland and some of the islands and the coast. Her family's heritage is from there. We went on a bit of a kind of a rediscovering heritage tour. We loved it there. Beautiful place. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's great. Can you tell me more about the Accelerator experience? Sure. So I think what really marked the first three or so years of it was that um, I didn't really know anything and I made sure I acted accordingly. One of the things that I see over and over again is that people who think that they're in a position to provide advice to early stage companies provide that advice without actually knowing enough to know that they're, they're wrong. And I think we were very cognizant of that uh, when, I, when I started. So we made sure that we built a really, there was already a, a network in place that had been done by our, our president, Scott Bryan, who's a, a really top guy. And um, I made sure I relied very, very heavily on people who had been there and done that. Um, within kind of, you know, venture, you know, venture timeframes that not that many people have successfully started companies, but the people that had were, you know, friends of Imagine H2O. And I made sure that I was kind of listening and learning alongside the the founders. And, and after kind of multiple years of doing this, you start to see patterns emerging. Um, you start to know what, what works. Um, you not start to know how kind of people can get themselves into trouble in water. You certainly see repeating, um, repeating themes in terms of what's going on with the, the founders in everything from storytelling to business model, to pricing, to attitudes to the market, to assumptions around velocity and all of this stuff. And really over the last two and a half years, I think we kind of onboarded a lot of it and we built what I think is a pretty credible model for entrepreneurship within water which isn't always going to apply and, and as with all models it's really important to know when it doesn't apply as much as it does uh, we saw a pattern of entrepreneurship that was really based on identifying founders that were really interested in building a strong basis for their companies and what that usually boils down to is identifying entrepreneurs that had crossed off a lot of a checklist that was around identifying a place where you can provide value, that's usually where a, a customer is really miserable for whatever reason. That could be regulatory or something to do with um, water quality, or it could be to do with uh, lack of water access or whatever it is. And that they have built themselves a kind of a, a machine that allows them to take care of assumptions methodically so that they're not making assumptions. I mean, just as a sidebar around assumptions, I spent some time around early stage companies where the, the ramifications of not understanding the truth or otherwise of the assumptions that you're making at the basis of your business model, that, you know, just how deleterious that can be. With, with our founders, what we tr really try to work with them on very, very early is what does reality look like? What are you really, 
you know, when you're when you're looking at it up close and personal in the water sector, what is it that you have to build to fit within the confines of the reality of your market? And that doesn't usually look a lot like generalized venture. You know, it's not burn hard, scale up. It, it doesn't it really doesn't work like that. You know, the, the mm-hmm. LTV, the, the, the lifetime value equation, you know, you need to make it work based on usually quite high customer acquisition cost. Um, yeah. You need to make sure you have your, you know, the cards in your own hands as early as you as you possibly can. And so we just, you know, we we took on more and more of the advisory work at Imagine H2O onto our own shoulders within the team. And, and I think now um, we're really, tr- you know, we were, we were trusted as advisors for some some pretty clued up investors, you know, people who had been in the war, sorry, operators, people who have been in the sector for multiple decades and have now starting companies. I think they were pretty surprised at the quality of advice um, that had come out of this model of listen first and then, you know, identify the themes and, and then, you know, back yourself as a, as a relatively, well, we hope anyway, certainly the feedback says that it is as a, as a value add advisor to, to, to these founders. Can you tell me kind of an idea of how many US based water focused startups there may be in any given year? At Imagine H2O, we saw, I think it's 541 companies this year, and I would say probably 70% come from the US. Um, now, not all of them are founded this year. They are, uh, you know, there's a there's a sort of a lag of, of time frame. But I would say, you know, on the order of, you know, 300 odd functioning at any kind of given time, I would have thought. But it's very, very difficult to know how far the rabbit hole goes. What we usually said, certainly at Imagine H2O, and I you know, plan on this being the same, same thing at Burnt Island Ventures, is the idea is that like, it's okay to miss some, but you can't miss much. We actually had one example of a, a company that we missed. Um, uh, well, they they did actually they they applied, but they didn't get selected. Um, Ketos just raised uh, an eighteen million um, Series B round, um, uh, which is pretty big for the for the water side of things. I mean, I'm always you know wary of, of of round size, and I think you know everybody should. But I think it's a testament to the work that Mina's done. So um, yeah, they that that's the kind of the depth of the talent pool. But the good thing, and this is one of the inherent bets of Burnt Island Ventures, is that that that, that pool is getting deeper and wider as more and more talented people decide that this is somewhere where they can't want to come and solve problems. Well, let, let's maybe break into the uh, fundamental molecule aspect of, of yeah. our discussion. And um, yeah. I want to start off in a kind of slightly humorous way and ask a very blunt question. Why should our listeners care about water? And it's just a molecule, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, it's funny. It's like, it's actually... You, you, I need to ask that question with more authenticity. It's just a molecule, right? Yeah, it is a funny question. It's um. It's funny because water is, is totally fundamental to the way that everybody lives their lives, because obviously without it, we don't live our lives and nothing lives its life. That's right. But it's also invisible. Um, I mean, I speak from the kind of rarefied position of standing in a house in San Francisco, which, you know, um, the massive majority of the world's population, you know, don't have the, the benefit of as reliable running water and sanitation as, as I'm lucky enough to, to have. But Good when you, if you just track it, so the listeners can try this tomorrow, just track from the moment that you wake up and your feet hit the carpet, how many times you interact with the water molecule from washing your hands and your face to having a shower, to going to the bathroom, to your morning coffee, to however you cook your breakfast, like we would washing up, you know, putting on the dishwasher, like washing your clothes, all the rest. But how often you interact with the, with, um, with water. I love numbers. As you know, can I give a guess at that? Yes, please. 
two to five hundred. I mean, all the way through the course of the day. I mean, we just, I yeah, I would be putting, I'd be putting like really definitely up there. But the yeah. other way to think about it is that for those of us that are lucky enough to have it, I mean, quite literally on tap, Zeka. Um, quite, <laughs> quite. So, here we tap, go. <laughs> what, like, what is the opportunity cost of that? So, well, or like turning opportunity cost on its head, like. What would life look like if you didn't have that level of convenience of access to it? Oh my gosh. You know, even yeah. if you, whether it's going I'll, to be. I'll, I'll get personal on you. We've been washing our clothes in the bathtub for the last five months now. Yes. <laughs> we don't, we don't, want, don't want to use our community uh, washing facilities. It's an important thing for many people. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean that's, that's exactly it. But then, you know, if you're talking about the impact side of things, you, follow, you can follow this rabbit hole like all the way down. Like if you as a, you know, nine-year-old girl um, who like wants to be get, kind of getting an education and all the rest of it, but the family needs water and the, it happens to be that the place to collect the water is an hour and a half away and you yeah. go an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back. You're not getting the education. It's not good for your joints. It's not good for your growth. It's not good for your health. The water you're picking up is of is of of, of uncertain provenance. Um, you know, this goes all the way down to us being able to actually optimize what we do with our time and how we learn and how we support our families and how we create wealth for our families and all the rest of it. It really does rely all the way down, or at least we give ourselves the best chance of success with. A reliable source of, of water but nobody ever thinks about that they never think about that and kind of fair enough you know it's we're lucky we're lucky here it's it's affordable it's convenient um it's also and just a quick shout out it is the result of an unbelievable amount of dedication and expertise of of really the heroes of our society which are the water and wastewater treatment um professionals that do That's their nice job on Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year, like they are out there every day making sure that we never have to notice. That's right. That we have access to this. So that's why we refer to it as, as the fundamental molecule, you know? And I think um, maybe putting the, well, I don't want to get into the more complexity, but um, maybe to get a sense of scale from yeah. kind of market size yeah. perspective, what it looks like in the US today. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's, a, it, I mean, it's gargantuan. Um, I mean, the overall water market, I mean, it's on course to be $915 billion by 2023. You work that backwards, it's about $850 billion worldwide. Within the US itself, I mean, the best way of kind of contextualizing how large a market it is, is that um, there is an estimation from the AWWA, and, uh, the, sorry, the American Water Works Association and the Water Environment Federation, which represent the drinking water and the wastewater side of things, respectively, uh, as well as the as the EPA, kind of as was um, a few few years ago, is that the um, the amount of work that needs to be done on both the drinking water and the wastewater side of things is kind of anywhere between seven hundred billion and a trillion dollars of uh investment in order to bring it up to the kind of the oh, best wow. examples of systems in the world and that's where you're looking at kind of countries like singapore that really have kind of state-of-the-art mm -hmm. state-of-the-art um systems because at the moment you know the rating of the infrastructure in the us is is a d for uh water and a and oh, d wow. plus for wastewater infrastructure and and it really is it's in a it's in a pretty parlor state in the us and it just gives you an idea of the the scale. The one thing that is also worth bearing in mind is that it's unbelievably fragmented. So I'm from the UK, 
right? We've got, you know, 66 million people versus your 350 or whatever. So we have 26, I believe, drinking water utilities. Uh, you have 50,000. And if you layer on uh, wastewater um, uh, systems, um, that's an additional 100,000 on top of that. Um, this is an unbelievably fragmented market where actually, you know, most of the population is served by about 400 of those. But there is a very, very long tail of, of, of systems. So hopefully that gives you kind of a bit of an idea of the complexities of, of navigating, but as well as, as, well as that kind of the, the you know, the, the side. Are we talking about primarily public uh, f- fractions or are we talking about uh, actual private entities that, that make up a majority of those? So certainly by number, it's absolutely a majority of, um, uh, of public entities. The, the private side of it, there has been more amalgamation um, into the private side of things, and they certainly do serve an outsized number of, of people within the, uh, the U.S. market. I don't know exactly the, the fraction that's served by private utilities versus public utilities, but it's, a really, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a hot topic and ongoing debate about what the best way to manage this is. I don't think that there's a huge amount of disagreement that there really needs to be, um, you know, an amalgamation of system, a reduction of those, uh, that overall number. The question of how you actually go about that is really tricky because you're, you're, you're essentially trying to create uh, going concerns. So sustainable financial entities that are allowed, to, that are able on a sustainable financial basis to deliver yeah. what they are required to, which is essentially services to code, clean enough water or reliable enough sanitation as set by the various regulating. And, and can yeah. I ask you about just in terms of putting your venture capital hat on um, sure. strongly to, to ask you kind of what types of startups that are at this interface of maybe public p- private partnerships and or just purely in the private sphere that excite you the most right now of the startup oh my god there's a there's a big big long list i mean i can only go with the ones that are off the the kind of the top of my uh top of my head because i've been looking at them over the last kind of uh, couple of days um i mean storm sensor has been uh the top of my top of my mind so um stormwater is a is a big deal in the u.s you may have noticed that we've had quite a few storms mainly barreling in through the the southeast the stormwater issue is a big one and it's got a really important really important dynamic which can be quite illustrative of how it's how you can kind of think about um you know the, the value proposition of a of a company and how you can build a kind of a venture thesis around it so so when you're looking at um doing the kind of infrastructural improvement around something like stormwater which is basically dealing with rainwater when it falls on your city or, or farmland or whatever it is you want um it involves a lot of digging out the ground and digging out the ground is expensive just to, to give you an idea in oakland a mile of pipe replacement or or pipe insertion costs about a million dollars a mile so it, oh, wow. it, things get expensive. Things get expensive quickly. What Storm Sensor does, it essentially um, puts in units that tracks the behavior of stormwater when it rains, so you can understand exactly what is going on in your sewer system. Now that is in and of itself valuable, but the valuable really starts to jump out is that when you start thinking about spending seven hundred million on upgrading your stormwater infrastructure, the question then becomes, where shall we spend it? And without stormwater's data, you've got quite a high likelihood of wasting a lot of that money because you're kind of putting a finger in the air. And I mean, dedicated professionals and you know all the rest of it, but you're kind of putting the finger in the air. And if you waste 10% of that, you've wasted $70 million of your budget putting stuff that didn't either replacing stuff that didn't need to be replaced. And so if you've got a system like Storm Sensor, they've actually got quite a high headroom of how they can price themselves according to the value that they create, or at the very least, 
they can say, look, there's a huge amount of value that you can take out of this on a repeating basis. But they call themselves the Google traffic maps uh, for sewers. Then, I mean, and this is related. I was just speaking to a company that I've uh, is an investee, but they're, they're looking at potentially another round at the beginning of, of next year called Zilpa Trenchless. Now, they've gotten this is a fantastic illustration of what I think of as good entrepreneurial process. So a hole in the ground is a hole in the ground, right? It doesn't matter whether it's in Cambridge, Massachusetts or Colombia. So Daniel Zelante and his brother, Roberto, the Venezuelan brothers, anyway, they, they went from Cambridge to, to Bogota with the idea of essentially revolutionizing what is called trenchless technology. So, you know, when you're whatever, driving your, well, hopefully electric car around town and the street's shut and there's a big hole in it and everybody's upset because they can't get to where they need to go because they need to sure. dig up dig up the ground to pull out yeah. the pipe, put the pipe back in and all the rest of it. Trenchless essentially does that without having to dig up the ground. It's a bit, it's kind of like, horiz- anybody who's seen kind of videos of, of fracking, kind of horizontal drilling right. Um, right. to be able to insert um, pipelines. And they've just done an unbelievable job. I mean, it's relatively esoteric, the actual overall value value um, that they, they're creating. But essentially their, their flexible machine is just, is absolutely transforming the economics of of uh, trenchless pipe replacement. And the great thing about transforming the economics is that by virtue of their existence, they're actually changing the size of the market that they're attacking because a lot of stuff that wasn't economic for trenchless uh, work before is is uh, is um, uh, economic economic now. So that's just two examples. You can probably tell I could go on for a zillion years. That's um, well, I was going to throw in a I was going to throw in an intentional pun about moat, and it seems like yes. you're. Yeah, it seems like your discussion <laughs> around uh, around capturing kind of the regulatory value component where these local governments are required to do updates, for example, but they, they have that diligence factor that they really have to pay for a, a way to efficiently solve the problem. Yeah. In addition to the, the, other, the other solution, which is to say, um, you know, you basically are forced to reduce costs and that in itself is a moat when that technology exists, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Again, no pun exactly. intended, I guess. It's, I mean, but just quickly on the puns, just far away. Like, do they, they you can't, what are, one of the great delights about Well, this is, this is like a release valve for it my was Seriously. Exactly. <laughs> well, there is one, a release valve. Valves are very much in the water sector. You, you can't, like, it's everywhere, right? Um, so, but this notion of regulatory value is a really interesting one. I was, um, you know, what at the top of the Burn Island Ventures kind of checklist is, is pain, right? Is the this notion of customer pain? Somebody may create the iPhone of water, you know, the thing that we never knew we needed that creates a ton of value and all the rest of it. They might, they might, um, but on an eighty twenty bet, I think this the, the 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 value is really going to be driven by by pain. And so the question then becomes, where does that pain come from? Um, and especially in utilities and municipalities, they are, I mean, they are to a certain extent, but like really, they are not driven by the profit motive. Um, which is turns out is super helpful for the economics of startups, having people who are constantly like vying against each other to do more and better and make more with less and all the rest Mm -hmm. of it. You don't have that really in uh, in utilities. And so actually regulatory pain points are really, really, really important. And and I think this is changing in venture. Um, Certainly I heard of a a major fund that is actually building a, um, that actually now has a unit of uh, regulatory driven, um, for regulatory driven opportunity, just because I think All people right. have figured it out that's like, certainly in the environmental side of things, if it wasn't going to go away over the last four years in terms of the environmental regulation, when exactly is it going to go away? 
you know, I really think that this is secular, that these that these regulations are here to stay and they're only going to get tighter. And as the regulations get tighter, pain is created. Pain comes opportunity. So it then becomes about, you know, who can help people respond well enough to 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 regulation. And you've seen this in energy, you've seen it in cars, you've seen it in yeah, emission standards. Like, you know, this is a really, really important kind of driver of innovation and certainly is uh, is a, is a focus for us. I love that. And and I hope that if someone listens to this show that may be more industrial minded and not necessarily focused on impact with the water lens on, I would hope that that listener would, would see an opportunity like this and say, oh, you know, Burn Island Ventures, maybe we can collaborate with you and, and, and draw a synergy there. And yeah. I think that that one that's going to help us lead into the next section with mm. the complex markets. Yes. So I I loved the material you shared. I'm going to include all of it in the show notes and I had a chance to read some of it last night uh, a little bit quick too quick but I I I did get some of it and um, one thing that stood out to me when I was reading a tweet storm you wrote was and I'm going to quote you here um, you wrote water is a multi-impact investment due to its interconnection with climate change, the agri-food value chain, industrial productivity, healthcare, renewable energy, ecosystem services, love that term, and biodiversity. And yeah. I think that that really just resonated in terms of the complexity component. Maybe you could lead us off in terms of uh, some of the aspects of water that are non-obvious within this context. Sure. I mean, so I mean, firstly, um, yeah, that 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 quote um, that you refer to is is very erudite because it's not mine. Um, it's, oh no, <laughs> there we have it. It's the UN. Yeah, it's, that's the UN PRI, I believe. It's the, well, someone did their job well, and, and, yeah. and I apologize for that. No, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'll cut it out, but you know, it's good to fail so, in public sometimes. Rare piece, and I'm not to throw shade at the UN, but it's a rare piece of good writing from the UN. Yeah, I agree. So, so in terms of the complexity, like one of the things that I, I've been asked multiple times in the, you know, even in the, you know, the short time that um, I've been discussing this, the fund opening, opening uh, openly with people is kind of, where do you stop? You know, how far does this go? Because, sure. wow, if you start thinking the, about water, the rabbit hole, so to speak. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, do you invest in car washes? Like, I mean, not, no. But, um, but it's, but it's, it, it's, like, it's not a bad question at all. Yeah, but it's it, and it's it's kind of all it's kind of all over the place, um, which means that it's very difficult to get your kind of hand around. And I think that really the the fundamental observation about the complexity of water is that there, there are a couple of things that flow from that. Again, great pun, Tom. Thank you very much. So um, a couple of things that flow. <laughs> oh, okay, flow. You flow can do better that. than that. Come on, Tom. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> is um, you got to stay humble. You got to stay humble. That this is a this is a big space and as soon as you start you know making assumptions without having i mean this is the great thing about having been in it for five and a half years I've, people have been so generous with their time and energy and and, and i feel there's a there's a wonderful network that burnt island ventures is able to draw on but as soon as i run into a new section of this i'm i'm usually either directly or one step away from talking to someone who has run into all of these issues multiple times and one thing i would encourage your listeners to do is to take nothing for granted if you are interested in the water side of things this is complex and the gremlins are everywhere um <laughs> so definitely definitely stay humble and then the, the kind of the corollary of that so if you're thinking about it from a you know a, a venture identification 
point of view is that we have found it much more productive. And again, this is an idea that is not ours, right? But the, the job, as, as they put it, uh, um, you know, first round and a benchmark is that it is, our job is not to predict the future, it's to see the present very, very clearly. What I have found to be particularly effective after, you know, selecting you know, 140 companies to um, the various programs of, of Imagine H2O is that it's really important to look for those founders that kind of walk out of the long grass with a kind of a thousand yard stare because they've been in the middle of some element of a niche where there is a large pain point there's a real willingness and ability to pay there are there is real pain there is real dynamics that can underpin velocity and pricing and all the rest of it but you would find it very very hard to identify it from the outside and so what you're looking for is the people who can who have understood this and almost and i think this is a little bit how burnt iron adventures has kind of started is that like there's almost this sense of oh my god this sucks and no one else is fixing it so all right fine i'll go and fix it. waiting for the tide to go out right it's like yeah yeah yeah. so this is very much what like you know mick o'dwyer at swift comply did i mean he's spent 15 years as a as a, I mean, if you can imagine it, as a fats, oils, and grease compliance guy in Dublin, he used to work for. Yeah, hey, I know this term. You talked about this with fogs, right? Yeah, yeah, fats, oils, and grease. Like one thing you like when you get involved with water, it's just glamour, 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 Zachary. It's glamour, glamour, glamour. <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, you're yeah. going down the rabbit hole here. I'll let you go as far as you'd like. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like it's like these pretty red carpet stuff. Anyway, Mick's a fantastic guy, um, and he spent 15 years as a fats, oils, and grease consultant. But he just realized that all of the compliance software sucks. And if you want people to comply with something and give you the data that you need to be able to run your utility. Uh, let me let me stop you for a moment. Fats, for oil, fats oil, and grease uh, fog fats, is, is grease, kind of yeah. um, the underbelly of a city. And it's 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 a kind of a, a backup within the water piping system. Or the sewage It's a great system. way of putting it. So when people cook their... I don't know, other fatty foods are available, I suppose, but like bacon, but really anything with oils and you kind of merrily wash it down the sink with water without soap in it, or you don't, you know, put it in a, um, put it in a container and, and put it in the bin. Like all of that stuff goes somewhere. It coagulates in, in sewers. Um, and what is created once various conditions happen is what is hilariously referred to as fatbergs. Um, oh, no. And these are these are essentially like um, you know coalescences of fats, oils, and grease. Wet wipes. Um, I saw the 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 cumulative damage, economic damage from wet wipes in the U.S. last year. I was I'm, I'm going to get the actual figure wrong, but I think it was four hundred and sixty eight million dollars. Oh my! If wow. you are using wet wipes, they are not disposable, and they should go nowhere but the bin. Mm-hmm. Do not. Flush them down because anyway, yeah. this happens. But what happens with the fatberg is that then you need to dig it up. You can't break it down. You have sure. to dig it up, and and that costs on the order of about a million dollars. And trust me, barely any utilities can afford an unexpected expense of a million dollars. It really does bust up there. And anyway, so Mick is the guy who's built the software platform that allows cities to make sure that restaurants uh, and hotels and and various other sources of this stuff in in bulk. Um, make sure that they don't put it down the drain and that they comply to the ordinances. So unsexy stuff, unsexy niche, very, very large. Well, very, very okay, large so you, you say it's unsexy, and of course nobody likes talking about the underbelly of a city. <laughs> however, however, I did recently see um, 
uh, well, actually, I want to maybe put this in uh, into kind of your research. Mm-hmm. I saw you did a uh, you shared an article on the asymmetric bet, and I think it's kind of the basis for why why you're going into water and why venture capital can work in water. We've seen um, five or ten venture scale uh, water startups uh, kind of kind of in the in the U.S. landscape over the last five ten years. It looks like, but a lot uh, outside of kind of the, tr- the traditional water startup. Um, kind of umbrella, there may be more, you're saying, maybe those that are kind of asymmetric, not asymmetric, those that are partially linked to the water ecosystems, such as this fog example, um, could be more, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, you, one of the great things about venture, as you know, Zeka, is that it's, it's, it's this awesome kind of voyage of discovery. Like, you know, the great, the the really kind of exciting times is when somebody, as I say, walks out of the long grass with this idea that you could never have predicted um, straight away. I feel like I've been kind of nose up to the glass with the water sector for long enough that like the, the real surprises. So the things that were like, wow, I hadn't even thought of that as, you know, even kind of relevant are, are getting, you know, fewer and fewer, but I'm definitely keeping, um, uh, you know, keeping an, an eye out about where this crossover comes. Um, mm-hmm. the ones that are kind of particularly interesting and it's, it's sometimes a bit difficult to get your heads around. I mean, the agriculture and water nexus is super important. So in California, it's 70% of water use goes to agriculture. So if we're really serious about, you know, impact on the water sector, we need to make sure that we're enabling, um, you know, farmers and agricultural operations to be able to minimize their their water use for sure. Is this diverting uh, rivers or is this groundwater or, or both? It's basically enabling farmers to be able to use as uh, as, as little water per unit of production um, mm-hmm. as they possibly can. Um, and that can be anything from, you know, it's difficult to know where to draw the line. And to a certain extent, that will be a conversation with my, you know, LPs and where they, where they like want to, to focus. And I certainly have my ideas, but things like seed treatment technologies that make the, make, um, make, um, seeds more drought resistance, as well as increasing yields per, per unit of, of input. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, perfectly uh, so you did it, you did it again. You showed the, the kind of diversity of opportunities that surround the water ecosystem with, yeah. with something like yeah with something yeah. like um bi- a biological solution yeah for sure um and they you know and that this goes all the way like down you know i just heard about a company that's um uh it trickles down so to speak <laughs> yeah, yes <laughs> Sorry. Bing. Um, the uh, I just heard about so a um, a dye company that you know what like one of the real. I mean, this is a story that's just coming up at the moment. But um, the textiles industry is, is absolutely appalling for um, surface water issues in. Yeah, um, there was a there was a documentary on Netflix China. about that, I believe. Recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's was, there's um, the Matt Damon or something. It was I watched it. I'm already forgetting. Yeah, I, I I may have I may have missed that particular one, but it's um oh, it's yeah. just something that's coming into to to focus. There was a film on Netflix recently exploring water around the world and water opportunities. Do you... Yes, yeah, no, this no, is um, I, it's funny, it's it's great, it's so great that it's on on Netflix. Um, Paul, the architect behind it, is a is a is a great friend. We've 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 um cooperated on a an innovation pavilion at the at the largest um uh, water conference for the last five years. He's a super guy, actually hosted their, their forum. The... But yeah, they had Matt Damon. This is oh, like yeah. he's a he's a big water guy. There are yeah, some... he was the he was the um uh the he was the one the, what do you call it the person um 
gosh, I can't think of the term, <laughs> the person narrating the, the documentary. Yeah, and then well, Liam Neeson was was definitely was, uh, Liam Neeson is the is the narrator, and then uh, you know you had Jaden oh, Smith, right. Jaden Smith, Will Smith's son. Um, the the my oh, yeah, favorite water, like covert water person is Lupe Fiasco. Um, okay. He's an investor in a in I think in a couple of of um, early stage water companies. Uh, not only is his music very very good indeed, but like uh, testify to the to the water side of things. And then if you know the song New World Water by Moz Def, who is now uh, Yasin Bey, um, that is all about water. It's not it. him talking about lack of water access and sanitation. Um, he's a big water guy as well. So. We are, we as this sexy industry are catching the eye of all sorts there of quality. Very, very important. But there is a, um, but there is a kind of an important thing here is that like the more people tell the stories around this, and this is why the work of someone like Mark Ruffalo is really important. You know, he just, uh, he just um, uh, started a, a film about um, the creation of the forever chemicals, essentially the, the, the foundation of like nonstick pans is, um, it, I think I saw that documentary as well. That was very illuminating. Yeah. The, the documentary was called the devil, you know, and that's on oh, Netflix. It's very, very, was it, very it was cool. a documentary. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And then, and then he was in the, the, the dramatization of it. Um, and he's kind of taken this up at his pet, as his pet project. And it's very, it's really important to have that kind of level of, of visibility. Yes. Um, and I think that's one of the tailwinds. I mean, going back to your, your question about why this, um, one big part of it on the demand side is that I think this is getting more visible. Um, I think it's becoming more and more of a part of people's uh, uh, sort of understanding and, uh, and kind of field of vision in the world. And whether that's, you know, Flint or the reporting work of the Guardian or like whatever it is that you're kind of using, it's just more and more difficult to kind of get away from it. Um, yeah, and then indeed. crucially, I think anyway, is that, you know, when you have people like BlackRock um, putting out pieces of analysis called troubled waters and about how yeah, I'm going to share that in the show notes as well. You, you, you sent that to me. That's an incredible report as well. Yeah, because they like... There is an argument. There, there is a kind of a bit of a debate as to whether or not they are really following up their chat with, you know, actual activist um, work. I mean, it does look like they they made a series of votes against board uh, against board um, resolutions um, as a result of environmental concerns in in the last round of quarterly meetings. So hopefully they're matching um, activity with with what they're saying. But when you look at something like that, you know, this is the largest asset manager in the world. Um. You, you hope you're moving towards something where the largest polluters or the largest you know emitters of industrial wastewater or whatever it is um, or the largest users of water are being told in no uncertain terms that there is no more messing around and no more messing around in a kind of like we'll write a story about you we're going to kick you in your wallet because um, that's when real change happens you know it's the same thing when you know you had the solar industry uh, when solar got cheap enough that like even the most kind of don't care about the environment i'm never going to vote for anyone on the basis of anything green i do not care but i'm going to get sure. solar panels on my roof because it's going to cut my electricity bills by 20 percent yeah, exactly yeah, yeah and so you're i think you're starting to see the uh, those um those uh incentive structures emerge and it's really 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 important um mm -hmm. 
And then when you combine them with, uh, you know, other the other factors like the flows to environmental, social and, and governance stocks, like, you know, basically you have a kind of financial tailwind for the people who are going to be purchasers of these early stage companies. Um, and then you have the visibility of these problems, which is going to engender more action on the part of companies. They're going to need more innovation and technology to be able to solve the problems that they are facing. There's going to be a tailwind to regulations, which is going to engender the same impact. I mean, I just look at across the board on the supply and demand side of uh, innovation in, in water. And I really, I just, I just see a unidirectional, a unidirectional bet. I mean, like I, I could be wrong, but it would, it would. Be- I, I don't think you are, frankly. And um, I want to ask one extra question. We're not even going to get into the last section here. I mean, I, I, I just love your passion and how much you've shared <laughs> the information you shared. What I'd like to, what I'd like to understand is going forward, are you going to yeah. be expanding into international markets as well, primarily in the U.S.? And what kind of founders are you looking for outside of what you had mentioned, with um, those who are able to uncover the process? Yeah, sure. So on the international side of things, the short answer is yes. Um, what we've, what I've, what I've seen is that um, there is a concentration of, for whatever reason, of kind of entrepreneurial, I think, talent that comes out of the the US, and I think there's uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's got that's got to be the kind of the center of gravity at least for the moment. But where you're looking at the the development, there's some really fantastic um, uh, innovation coming out of. Uh, I mean, with a, with a kind of epicenter in, in Singapore, but in Southeast Asia, and, and then particular in India. But we're seeing a real uptick from the UK, for example, for Germany. We have some fantastic founders that have come out of the Netherlands, the really, really strong um, work coming out of, of there. And so, like, for, for this to be everything it can be, it has to be set up to be international from the beginning. So I'm, you know, paying lawyers to make that a reality as kind of eye-watering but necessary um and then in terms of the uh and then in terms of the 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 founders what we're looking what we're always looking for um and i think it's it's a useful note i think and i very rarely hear other people say it maybe they say in 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 not so many kind of words but what we're looking for people who have got a real interest in in reality and have a bias to that Um, it's people who are really willing to go and do the hard yards to go and gather the primary data and like the 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 way we phrase it is before they've written a line of code or or picked up a soldering iron like to really understand like for whom and why and therefore what am i building and it's it's rarer than you would. Uh, it's rarer than you would think. The only other thing that I would say, which I, I, because I, people always say this, but I think they they phrase it slightly wrong, is that um, we're really looking for an ability to focus. Um, and I feel like investors and advisors always say, "You got to focus. You got to focus." It's a bit like saying, "You got to find your passion." Well, it's useless. Completely useless. Like. Because, you know, sometimes things are great and sometimes they suck. And there's a, I've, I'm a founder. I've got to do everything from legal to hiring to payroll to, like, build the thing. Like, sure. how do I focus? What, we really, what I'm really looking for is people who have gone through the process or at least have a predilection to the process of saying, okay, I have competing priorities. But what I, what I know is that if I spend too much time too thinly, I am minimizing the likelihood of success at any given thing 
And so what I need to do is really, really think about where is the where is the most productive use of the marginal unit of my time and then do that and then just repeat that process over and over and over again. And sometimes it will be legal. Sometimes it will be hiring for a long time. It should be hiring. Right. But what we're looking for is people who are willing to close the doors. A great illustration of this is that, you know, when somebody comes with a pitch deck and we say we have a thousand global markets and we are already in conversation with people in India and China and all, you know, it's like, oh man, that sounds rough. It sounds like you're trying to build five companies, building one yeah. is not enough. We just, I agree with you there. <laughs> it's like process of narrowing it down, you know? Indeed. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize for that. For the, the, for the founders that have an inclination toward focus, these fluid founders, so to speak, mm-hmm. do, um, do you, what opportunities exist in this kind of crossover space where certain companies may make good partners or other aspects that are kind of on the on the edge of water, et cetera? How, what, what kind of opportunities can you share with founders that may be in that at that intersection? So you mean the, the you mean the intersection of water and kind of other things? Sure, exactly. Um I mean, God, there are so many of them. I mean, we, we talk a lot about uh, Nexus. I, I think the, the, the last one I heard was the water, energy, food, ag, Nexus. And the then Nexus. you suddenly start like to think it. about like what isn't included like in, in that <laughs> overall thing. I think what I would say about people who are interested in kind of the intersections of, um, of water and their, um, and their work, it really is everywhere. For, I mean, this is as important an issue to... AWS and Azure as it is to Gap and McDonald's and like sun-made raisins and like great points. The opportunity is is everywhere. And one thing, and I think this is a real cheat code, uh, cheat code for 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 kind of life, is that this is this is meaningful work. I've chosen adaptation, but if you want to do mitigation and you want to reduce um, carbon dioxide emissions, but mm-hmm. Like this is a great place to spend time. It's a great place to derive kind of meaning from your from your professional life, which is the way in which we spend most of our waking hours. So, like, if you're feeling like this is something where you might want to spend time and you want you know introductions to companies or you want to learn more about it, please do. You know, your listeners should feel free to reach out to me anytime. Oh, I love it. That's we need fantastic. more soldiers, right, Zeka? Yes, exactly. One last question before I let you go, and I'd like to get your contact details or just anything, uh, any details to link. I'm going to put a ton in the show notes, et cetera. One last question, kind of look out into the future a little bit. You're going to be influencing this future. So I want you to kind of like think about it from the context of what makes you really burn. Um, What is the kind of the venture scale water water startup ecosystem look like five to 10 years from now? Oi, oi, oi. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good That's good. Um, that's a good question. I think um, this this sector is is tough. I don't think we're going to see an explosion like we've seen in you know blockchain or fintech or um, D 2 C subscription companies um, <laughs> as of whatever two year three years ago. Um, I don't think we're going to see like I think there's going to it's going to be much healthier. And I think the, the main sources of that health is I think there are going to be much more people who have done really, really well, who are helping the next generation of entrepreneurs. Um, we're already seeing the beginnings of the benefits of that in water. And I think that's going to be much, much stronger. Um, I think we'll also be, I think the beneficiaries of these, of just the opportunity becoming much more 
uh, obvious. And I think, again, we're seeing this kind of like predilection of, uh, of I have no idea what generation it is, but the one after the millennials. Um, as they come into the workforce, I think there's there's much less of, you know, they really want to be additive to the way in which they're spending their time. So my bet yep. is that more and talented people are going to be um, starting companies and hopefully there'll be, you know, a ton of competitors to Burnt Island Ventures, that these are going to be really, really competitive deals to get into with the um, with the, the best founders in, in water. If that's the case, then the pain point that I'm responding to um, when, as I've you know, founded Burnt Island Ventures, then then that pain point will be on its way to, to being solved. And if that's the case, then you know I'll be I'll be very happy indeed. But there's a there's a long old road between then and now. But what's good is that there are already some absolutely phenomenal founders working working on this, and it's going to be fun to work with. Thank you again, Tom. You've opened up the floodgate on opportunity. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, I assure you, it's just a drop in the ocean. So, <laughs> brilliant. We've had amazing guests on the show, and I'm very grateful for all of your support. The show is now available also on Google. It's available on Amazon. It's available on pretty much all the platforms, iTunes, uh, hosting primarily on Breaker, so you can interact with the show there. We would love any positive feedback you can give on uh, iTunes especially. Leave us a review, and keep listening. Appreciate it.